0: Alfonso Aceves was only a teenager and he was addicted to violence.
1: When I was already like 18, 19, I I was committing crimes, selling drugs. You know, it was like excitement. You wanted to do it. You had to do it. And then when you did it, you were glad you did it, even if you came out hurt. And then all of a sudden the Vietnam War came. I wanted to go because they were gonna be paying me for killing people. I was finally gonna get money for something that I've always wanted to do.
0: Al served two tours in Vietnam as a member of the 101st
1: Airborne. When his time was up, he returned home. I thought to myself, what am I gonna do? And I was coming home on the plane, I said, man, I'll I'll go to college, try to change my life. That didn't happen. After several run-ins with the law, he and some friends started a motorcycle club called the Mongols. When we started the Mongols, there was 10 of us. And everywhere we went, somebody would want to test us, and we'd fight. And little by little, we started growing, growing more chapters, until I was getting kind of like famous in there for all the fights I had, all the things I would do to people. Big Al was a a Sergeant-at-Arms. He was what I call a warlord. And whenever we needed something, taking care of, uh, Al was a guy that we looked to. We thought we were living a dream, all these things we were doing. Everybody was so afraid they would never say anything. So I picked up the gun. You got the money? And I ended up going and doing things for other people that if you owed money, I'd go collect. Al made countless enemies
0: and eventually became addicted to heroin. Even so, he
2: married Lorraine. And I had six kids and he married me with these six kids. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of the kids. I'll support you. Everything will be all right. Al's
0: addiction grew worse. He needed money for drugs, so he started
1: taking on bigger jobs. I needed drugs, so I needed to do things. And that's when we, like, I would take whatever I would get. They would say, could you bomb this place? And I'd give them a prize. I
2: was always worried, always fearful that he'd get in trouble or die or... because he'd go all over, Mexico, everywhere. And I used to say, oh, is he going to come home? or They're going to give me a phone call and he's dead. When the money ran
0: out, Al and his family needed a place to stay. So a family took them into their home,
1: but they had one stipulation. He says, uh, there's only one thing. He says, we're going to read a scripture Every day when I come home, I didn't know what a scripture was. John 3, As Al reluctantly read the Bible, his curiosity began to grow. One day, he brings another guy, and then the guy started talking to me about salvation. He says, you know, wouldn't you like to be saved? Wouldn't you like your sins to be forgiven? And I looked at him and I told him, man, you don't know who you're talking to. You know what I mean, the things I've done. And he told me, no, God died on the cross for you and so I accepted the Lord and I was still hooked. But turning his life around
0: wasn't so easy he was eventually locked up for planning a bomb attack
2: When he came out we went to meet him at the airport my family and I and I was scared fearful I didn't know which way he was gonna go and when he came home it was a little rough at first but he just said we're going to church we're going back to church i don't want to leave god anymore i want to stay with him
0: al moved into a christian men's home and kicked his drug habit
1: i was kicking heroin god was so good that he gave me the strength to stay because i wanted to run but when i started falling down on the ground having convulsions god was good he just i stayed i kicked
0: eventually al started working at the men's home Everyone around him noticed a change, especially Andy, his friend from the Mongol days. Andy too became a Christian.
1: That's been the uh, awesome thing to see that uh, the transformation because he was always to me was a big, rugged, hardcore guy and now uh, the tone of his voice has changed. Uh, He's a a very compassionate person, uh, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to the needs of people.
2: I'm proud of the strength in him that he stood he stood up and said I'll follow you Lord I know it was hard because of his background and all that he's been through and then you know being a dad raising my kids I'm proud of him
1: death called on me a lot people have tried to kill me forever but God had a plan in my life No matter what kind of biker you are, no matter what club you're in, no matter what situation you're in, God can take you out of it. My life has changed just because of Christ. Not because of any drug, not because of any program, no doctor, no psychiatrist. God has changed my life completely from the person I was to who I am now.
3: He grew up feeling different from his siblings, and he wondered why. His chronic heart condition didn't help, as it kept him from leading an active life, like kids his age. To make matters worse, Utam's father and stepmother used his illness against him. My father started
4: making note of how much money was spent on me. I never remember my family treating me well, even when I was sick. They used to think of me as a burden to them, a big burden. I used to think that stepmothers only mistreated their children on TV. But after a while, I realized that my stepmother was treating me badly. It hurt me deep inside.
3: One Saturday morning, Uttam turned on the television and saw a program about the parables of Jesus, a CBN India production called Drishtanth, that gave him hope. The first thing I saw was Jesus. He touched
4: everybody with His hand. He touched the sick, the blind, the mute, the handicapped, and even lepers whom society shuns. He healed them and brought them back to society. He put an end to sadness in lots of people's life. I felt, maybe there will be an end to my sadness too.
3: Utham decided to write to the CBN India address on the screen, so he could learn more about this Jesus who touched and healed suffering people. When he received a letter back from CBN, it contained words of love and acceptance, something he had searched for all his life. As the situation at home grew worse, however, Utam decided it was time to leave. But shortly after he left, he received some devastating news. Doctors told him he had cancer of the blood and gave him eight months to live. I couldn't believe it. The
2: only thing that kept ringing
3: in my mind was, I have blood cancer. With less than a year to live, Uttam decided he wanted to spend his last birthday with someone who loved him. He remembered the letter, so lovingly written by CBN India, and decided to go and visit the CBN offices in Hyderabad. When I got there,
4: I had this overwhelming feeling of belonging. It seemed like I knew everyone there, and that we were already very old friends. My whole life I have seen selfish people who are only interested in their own work,
3: but at CBN India, it's not like that. At CBN India, prayer counselors shared the gospel with you, Tom, and prayed, asking God to heal him.
5: When he came to CBN, he was very sad. He had only one question, why did God do this to me? After that, we gave him a Bible counseled him and ticked promises for him. We told him, if you read these promises, you'll feel the peace within you.
3: And that's exactly what Utom did. As he poured over verse after verse in the Bible, he began to trust in a God he barely knew, and he began to believe that that God could heal him. A few days later, Utom returned to CBN India full of faith. There, his newfound family Paid to send him to a doctor for a blood test the result was amazing
4: uttam came to see me in India believing he had blood cancer he suffered with his thoughts for two months but now we had his blood tested the results show no trace of cancer we are truly thankful to God for this I believe this can only be a miracle from God he has given me new life and he has heard my prayer and
3: heal me. This past June, Utam turned 20 and he celebrated his birthday like never before with a birthday cake, gifts, balloons, and people who love him, completely healed of his cancer and a new child of God. All of this makes him very grateful. I came empty-handed, totally empty,
4: but I'm taking the Lord Jesus with me. I'm going back with so much. I'm taking his blessings along with me. He's going to be with me always. I'm not going to be alone. He is going to be with me.
6: You can get high in sex. You can get high in alcohol. You can get high in all kinds of drugs. Our high in hate and violence. When
7: Nicky Cruz showed up on the scene, people had every reason to run and hide. He wasn't just the leader of the renowned Mau Mau's, the toughest gang in New York City. Nicky was an animal.
6: New York City was a jungle. The law of the jungle, you behave like an animal. An animal don't know the difference between right and wrong. An animal has to kill another animal for survival.
7: So did you ever kill somebody?
6: I cannot answer that question. But I can say that again. Yes, we did it together.
7: Pain and violence weren't anything new to Nikki. He grew up with it in Puerto Rico, where his parents brutally abused him. Nikki's father used to throw him in a room with pigeons.
6: He, he put me there naked, and uh, and I used to scream, and the pigeons used to get scared and they crashed me all over.
7: And Nikki's mother?
6: She hit me so much and she knocked me out unconscious so many times, over and over that uh, honestly to God I if I could grab a knife and I prove that I didn't feel the pain anymore.
7: It wasn't just because they were cruel. They were possessed.
6: I I know that I was planted into the wounds of a witch.
7: Seances, satanic worship, animal sacrifices, they were all a normal part of his parents' lives.
6: I saw my mother possessed by the devil many times. My mother had to eat everything when she was under the influence of Satan. So my dad, all those animals sacrificed, all the blood that was shared, and the smell that was the so repulsive, and the spirit that used to manifest, it was scaring.
7: So when he hit the streets of New York, Nicky was a hardened man, void of love, full of hate.
6: I want to do to others what my mother did to me, period. I wanted to know how he feels to get hurt. And I used to feel good when I used to hurt some people.
7: But alone in his tiny apartment in the projects, he didn't feel good.
6: I privately, when I was alone, loneliness became like a seductive woman that crawl inside of my chest and eat me. And, and I was there twisting and fighting, and I felt so lost. The most that you can live in the way I used to live is, is 20 years and I was 19 already, one year I'll be dead.
7: Only two people saw the desperate condition of Nikki's heart. One was a psychologist.
6: He told me about fight time. There's a dark it's side in your life that nobody can penetrate. Nikki, you're walking straight to jail, the electric chair and hell, and there's no hope.
7: The other was a pastor named David Wilkerson. He risked his life Lord. to tell Nikki
6: there was hope. How about? It. I heard this voice. God had the power to change your life, and I start cursing loud.
3: You come near me, yeah, I'll kill you.
6: I spit out his face and I hear him. And I told him, I don't believe in what you're saying, and you get out of here.
7: Nikki never expected what he heard Wilkerson say next.
8: You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay him in the street and every piece will still love
6: you. It did damage good in my brain. And in my heart, I began to question. And for two weeks, I could not sleep thinking about love.
7: Nicky and his gang showed up at one of Wilkerson's rallies. And one by one, they gave their lives to Christ. It was the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross, that grabbed
6: Nikki. I never heard it, And I fell for him.
9: When he died on that cross, he was a man like you. You had the same fears and the same feelings that you have.
6: A little boy began to think about where I was hurt. I was choked up with pain, and, it, it, and my eyes were fighting, and tears began to come down, and more tears, and I was fighting, and then I surrendered. And then I let Jesus hurt me, unless I let my, my head rest on his chest, I say, okay, I'm sorry, forgive me, and for the first time I told somebody, I love you, and I told, her, I love you, Jesus.
7: The love Nicky got in return radically changed his life.
6: And when I opened my eyes, I got a new heart, I have been born again. I'm a child of the Lord.
7: Nicky left the gang scene. He enrolled in Bible college and met Gloria. The two married and moved back to New York City where they ran Teen Challenge, a program to help troubled teens. Since then, Nikki has raised four girls and traveled all over the world as an evangelist and head of Nikki Cruz Ministries.
6: I am the most, the most happy human being because I have reached thousands perhaps millions of people that have come to Jesus through my message. But the greatest success of my life, it was when I brought my mother to Jesus and my father and my brother.
7: Nicky chose to forgive his parents, and he asked them to forgive him. Nikki writes about this in his latest book, Soul Obsession.
6: When true forgiveness come in, and it come out from you, your you soul, forgive me. That dark cow will disappear, will be cracked down into pieces. And then you have access straight to the heart of Christ.
7: Once an animal filled with hate. Today, he's a lover of souls. Now if you met Nikki Cruz on the streets, you probably wouldn't run from him. You'd run to him. And here's what he might say.
6: I say to you that you can turn all of these. Deep pain and this hurt and this deep rejection, and do what I did. Give it to Christ, and you're gonna be, you're gonna be more happy with your life.
0: Tony Davis was a young rhythm and blues singer who followed the path of many aspiring musicians. I moved from Orlando, Florida, to Los Angeles, seeking to sing R and B. Tony's dreams of stardom just weren't coming true, so he turned to God for help. I went to praying
10: right there. I said, Something got to happen. I know, God, if you're real, please help me. Help me get out of this. I gave my life to Christ right there. I changed my life around, and I said, You know what? I want to start singing for the Lord. I want to do gospel.
0: Tony started a new career as a gospel singer. He thought his life was back on track. That is, until the night he went to pick up his wife.
10: I came just to pick up my wife from work. And when I pulled up to the house where she worked, bullets started to ring out from behind me. The first bullet hit my left leg, my thigh area, and I turned to run. And as I turned to run, two more bullets followed and hit hit my leg again. And I ran and I fell down beside my car. And all of a sudden, another young man came from the other side, the front side, And he started to shoot me all over again. A bullet hit my right side thigh area. Another bullet hit the ground and came up through my leg. All of a sudden the bullet went across my face, my chest. And I said, no, in the name of Jesus. And a young man was standing behind a tree and he had the gun pointing towards my head. And I said, why? What have I done to make you shoot me like this? You don't even know me. What have I done? And his hand began to tremble, and he lowered the gun. At that point, I knew I was going to die.
0: It was too much blood. One of the bullets shattered Tony's main artery. He bled to death right there on the street. His wife, Criselda, ran outside when the shooting stopped.
11: When I went there, he was, um, he was laid out, shot in his blood. When I actually saw myself that the ambulance was giving him CPR, and... Inside, I asked to go with him and they would not take me because they was doing CPR to try to bring him back.
10: I started to float towards these clouds. Um, these clouds opened up and through these clouds, I saw this huge city. Um, it was so strange, but the city was beautiful, man. Was, I saw these colors I've never seen before in my life, these strange just Glowing colors, radiant colors just glooming out of of this huge city. All of a sudden this voice said, it's not yet your time, go back. And I'm like, no, 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 no way. He said my name, Tony, your work is not yet done, go back. The doctor had already pronounced him dead. I opened my eyes and I looked up and I was on life support. This thing was in my throat, this long tube with a trait was in my throat. And his doctor was standing over me, and he was about to throw his sheet over my head, but he dropped the sheet and he ran out the room.
0: Doctors and nurses ran to his room. And they was checking me, and they couldn't believe. It. They said, "You know, you,
10: you was dead for 30 minutes. And usually, when you, you know, after a few minutes of death, you, you know, they expected me to have brain damage."
0: Tony was alive, but the doctor had some disappointing news for him.
10: And the doctor was telling me, "We're sorry." We had to cut your throat immediately to try to get air into your body. So we cut your throat and we mistakenly cut a piece of your vocal cord. So what we can do at this point is, um, hmm, we can put a box on the side of your throat and you can talk through this box.
0: And they told him they may have to amputate his left leg. And unfortunately,
10: the artery put in your left leg is not working properly. It's not sitting right in the leg.
11: I was mad with God, because I asked God why did he let something like this happen to a good person that's trying to serve him.
0: But Tony says he held
10: on to his faith in God. I've served God in spirit and in truth, and in in that I believe that he's going to show up and heal me. I believe that Jesus said by his stripes we are healed, that's in the Bible. And I believe that he's going to heal me, and I'm going to stand on that only.
0: Tony prayed for a miracle and says he got it that very night.
10: And all of a sudden, I felt this warmthness come into that room. It came into the room, a war, a nice warmthness. And it touched my leg, and I felt it go up to the artery. And I felt like stuff was being mingled together in my leg. And all of a sudden, it went up to my throat.
0: Tony says that while God healed his body, he was also working on his heart.
10: You must forgive, is what God said in my spirit. And I'm like, no, you gotta be kidding me. Why should I forgive those guys that shot me like this? And he said again, you must forgive. And when he said that, I said, you know what? This is a choice for me. I'm gonna forgive. It's not a feeling, but it's a choice. So therefore, I forgive.
0: Police told Tony he was probably the victim of a local gang initiation.
11: I really strongly believe in my heart that it was a miracle, because. The way that my husband was shot is I I see that people comes in the hospital when he was in there with one bullet in their their body, they died. He had five bullets and he never he didn't he died but God brought him back
0: for a reason. Tony is still singing gospel and says that wherever he goes, he wants people to understand the power of God's love. I know and I truly believe when the scripture says that not even
10: death can separate us from his love. I think about how he touched me and brought me back to life. How he gave me my joy back and my strength back and my faithfulness to him. It just I mean I'm just totally
0: overwhelmed with his grace and his mercy. When a czar came to the United States from Iran she was looking for friends. So when she met a group of fellow Iranians, she assumed they'd have one thing in common, Islam. Instead, they introduced her to a whole new way of life.
12: In 1978, Azhar came to the United States for an education. She planned to return to her native Iran, but political upheaval in that nation denied that. So Azhar, a Muslim, remained in America and worked very hard to be successful.
13: When you have to make it another country, I think that even added to the uh, focus that you have to make it and be somebody.
12: Azar worked as hard to be a good Muslim as she did to be a financial planner. She believed her good deeds would earn her a place in heaven. But after years of ceremonial washing and prayers five times a day, she grew tired of the routine.
13: And all of a sudden, I realized I'm standing here covered the way I have covered, and I'm saying something that I don't know what I'm saying, and, and I'm talking to God. And I felt like this can't be it, this can't be what God wants from me. For
12: 21 years, Azar had little to do with her Islamic faith. Then, some Iranian friends invited her to a meeting.
13: And honestly, I had never heard. There is an Iranian that they used to be Muslim, now they're Christian. I thought, like, what?
12: Still, Azar was intrigued and agreed to meet these people.
13: For the first time, I saw some other Iranians that they were um, they were Muslim. They used to be Muslim, now they're Christian, and and they were singing to God and worshiping. And I thought, wow, that is so interesting that they are just so free. But more than that, Azar was dissatisfied with her life. Even though she
12: had all the trappings of success, something was missing.
13: I was working six, seven days a week because I was so driven. And then you start having this issue of what is the purpose? Azar thought about the Christian meeting she attended.
12: Soon she went to another to find out more. There she listened intently to what was being said.
13: He basically said, well, who here knows that they will go to heaven? well as a Muslim you don't know if you go to heaven or not because God is gonna review your past and then it depends on how good you've done then he decides but still I wouldn't know so few people went like this and raised their hand and I thought like how do you know?
12: what Azhar heard was the salvation message of the cross she didn't understand and wanted an explanation
13: so after it was finished I went to him and I said "Uh, What do you mean that Jesus died for me? I wasn't even there, you know, he died for my sin. Why would he die for my sin? I died for my sin.
12: Again and again, she begged God to show her the truth.
13: And one day I was just out of blue. I turned the TV on and I don't even know why it was on 700 Club. It wasn't one of those things I watch every day. And as soon as I turned it on, Gordon's face was right on the whole screen, they had covered the whole screen and know. it just is it, on and he said, some of you are so confused, you don't know who the real God is. As Gordon prayed,
12: a listened
0: closely. Lord, I ask again, if you're real, show me.
13: And I thought like, wow! I don't even know if I turned the TV off, but I didn't hear anything else after that because it was what I was looking for. I was just asking why, why, why?
12: As the days passed, Azar focused her thoughts on God. Again, the Iranian Christians invited her to meet with them. They encouraged her to read the Bible, and Azar began to experience God in a new way.
13: There is something about this Christianity something is different I didn't know anything about Holy Spirit I had never opened the Bible I didn't know anything but it felt so strong and I thought like this is there is something different something different about me
12: the next day Azar went to church she couldn't wait to get there but this time she came face to face with the truth
13: and I started talking to God and I said okay God I don't have any reason to change I was Muslim and you were good to me. I have no reason to change. But if you have any reason, you show me signs. I saw a person right in front of me. And his face is right where my face is, and I can see his whole body. And gradually he opened his eyes and started looking at me. And there was just like two little suns it got brighter and brighter and brighter and it started shining in my face.
12: She recognized that the person she saw was Jesus and prayed to accept him as her Lord and Savior.
13: And I felt the way I never felt before. I felt like probably tons of tons of weight was off my shoulder. I was so light and so happy. Through her faith in
12: Jesus Christ, Azar has found purpose in life. Since then, she's been involved in her church and serves in a South Florida jail ministry. Today she glows as she speaks because she knows the truth that set her free
13: it's just incredible it's just incredible See before I was trying to do it on my own, I tried so hard you know to please God, to be good and uh, um, I, and i didn 't know i go to heaven but now It is him that came down, Jesus came down for me. And I am, thank God, not the same person I was before.
14: The greatest thing was being on stage and having the control. The awe of being worshipped and having folks just really look at you and say, wow, you know, I want to be that.
15: As leader of a heavy metal band, Kirk
14: Martin projected an angry, wild image on stage. And getting just thousands of people to scream profanities, that was the biggest rush for me.
15: Off stage, people just found him
14: mean. I was so filled with hate that I I would project that hate at a lot of people. Two of the, the band members, when we were on the road, just decided they were just sick of me and they couldn't take me anymore and they actually decided to leave the band but the message in kirk's
15: music captured the minds of his young audience
14: my whole intention was to tell people to believe in yourself follow your own visions your own dreams and crush whoever's in your way kirk had no illusions about where his growing success came from i got on the ground and i clawed the earth i told satan i said if you give me what i want if you make me a god if you give me the women and the drugs and the fame and and everything and you give me the power to crush people I will serve you until the end of time within two days I was offered a recording contract
15: while Kirk pushed for fame and fortune he tried to keep a secret bottled up inside a couple
14: of older boys in the neighborhood started molesting me and sodomizing me when I was probably about eight it uh, happened more than once and I never talked about it I never I never told anybody about it
15: Later, taking advantage of women sexually became part of Kirk's heavy metal lifestyle.
14: The worst part about my molestation was the fact that I in turn went out and violated others. Then,
15: just as he was about to sign the record deal for which he'd sold his soul, he had an
14: encounter with a mysterious stranger. One morning at about 9 o'clock, I went into a small cafe. And this guy came and sat down right across from me. Out of all the places he could have sat, there were plenty of seats open. And immediately, I looked at him with this horrible, mean-looking look on my face. And I said, what's happening, Dad? And Uh, He stopped stirring his coffee again and looked at me right in the face and he said, What's happening, Dad? I jumped across the table and I put my nose right up to his, stared him in the eye and I just cursed him. I called him every foul thing I could think of and he said, God sent me here to tell you that he loves you and God wants you to know that he was not responsible for the young men that molested you when you were a young child. And the thing that was so mind-blowing about that is he used their names. And he said, Jesus is waiting for you to turn your face towards home. And I jumped up and chased after him and he went around the corner of the building and in the thin air, he disappeared.
15: Not long after that, Kirk was sleeping in his band's
14: tour bus when it shook violently in the middle of the night suddenly it was like this big shining spotlight came down from heaven and the Spirit of God Himself came into the bus and and I I didn't know why I hated God so much everything just slipped away and, and the only thing I felt was love I felt I felt accepted I felt I felt like I was that little boy again before I got molested I said Jesus change me or destroy me because I don't want to be this anymore I realize now that in the presence of God, sin and hate and, and ugliness can't, th- there's no room for it. It has to leave and all these things began to leave my, my heart.
15: Kirk cried himself to sleep and when he woke up the next morning, everything
14: seemed different. The grass was greener, the sky was, was fluffier, the clouds were beautiful and, and, and I was different.
15: Kirk never signed the contract for the heavy metal record deal. I had everything
14: in my hand, everything I'd ever wanted, just, just sitting right there, and all of a sudden I I didn't want it anymore, and I left everything and never went back. Kirk
15: found a church in his hometown and began to grow as a Christian. A Christian counselor also urged him to seek out the young men who had molested him and forgive them.
14: I did find them. I don't know if you remember me or not. And I said, Why did you do this to me? and then they began to tell me the story of how someone had violated them. One young boy, uh, how, how he had found a pornography magazine and that's what led him to abuse me and then invite the other boy to abuse me. They had given their hearts to Christ. We sat down and we cried and we hugged and we talked about it and we prayed. That's how I got past all that.
15: Over time he found his musical talent moving in a new direction writing and performing worship songs. He and his family travel around the country sharing the miracle that changed Kirk's life.
14: My wife is just a treasure. My family is the greatest testimony of God's mercy and God's grace because I thought I would never have such a wonderful blessing. Once I started to realize that God wasn't out to get me, I I started to see the blessings. I was addicted to drugs and sex and violence and hatred and, and used music as a tool to destroy people. And then God turned all that around for his glory.
16: One day I wanted to go to my school dance. I was in the seventh grade, I was 12 years old. Uh, I asked my grandmother for $2. If you knew my grandmother, you had to work for money. So I went up to her, and said, Grandmother, let me get $2 to go to the school dance. So she uh, gave me crack cocaine instead of the $2. And she said, every customer that comes up, uh, This $20 rock, you take it to him. i give you $10. So um, I did that for weeks and weeks, and I made a lot of money selling crack for my grandmother. I was 12 years old doing that, and um, that's how I earned my living. That's how I earned my money.
0: The innocence of going to grandma's house was anything but for Huey Harris. But no matter where he turned, drug dealing seemed to be the way of life. I seen uncles, sell drugs,
16: cousins, uh, family members, my own dad, you know, I watch these people sell crack. And you know, I just, they, I idolize them, I want to be like them.
0: But during this time, Huey felt God trying to steer him in another direction.
16: I used to hear a voice in the back of my head saying, you're going to preach my word, you're going to preach my word, uh, get your life together, get your life together.
0: But his older brother's fate was about to cause Huey to cut off all communication with God. Stop right there. The bags of crack Huey's brother swallowed, ruptured. He died
16: several hours later. If there was a God at that time. I cursed him. Why did you take my brother away from me? So I, I went around angry. You know, I was real angry at everybody. Setting the school on fire, my high school. I set it on fire, just mad. Took a gun in the cafeteria, shot up in the ceiling. So I was, I was real disturbing, angry. When God took my brother away, I was angry.
0: Huey was sent to a mental institute for six months. But as he got older, the only form of counseling that seemed to be getting through was the dollar bill. When he was 19, he owned over 15 crack houses in Montgomery, Alabama.
16: I calculated like I blowed a half a million dollars in one year, you know, just shopping and, and partying. And I spent like $5,000 a night in clubs, you know, but I had no peace. People knock on my crack door, at 3 o'clock in the morning for crack. I have a 9mm gun in their face.
0: But it was just a matter of time before Huey was staring down a gun's barrel. Huey only spent a total of 10 months in jail. He soon made plans to expand his crack business. But seven years later, God changed those plans.
16: On this big time drug deal, I mean, living
0: it up on, on top of the world.
16: And one day I was leaving the uh, club, it was about 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I got home, I was house and we I was drunk as a I heard a loud noise, it was like an earthquake. And I looked about the one. I see people of all colors uh, running, screaming and hollering. Kids running and screaming and hollering from their parents. And I said, get your life together. And he said, I'm coming back to destroy this wicked world. And he said, if I didn't get my life together, I'll be destroyed right with it. So I seen fire come down from heaven. It was like raindrops of fire. Uh, fire coming down from heaven on this earth. And then everything was just black. The whole earth was black and then I'm walking on dead bodies, I mean like, skeletons and things of that nature. I said, Lord, save me. I said, save me from this, this lifestyle. Save me from selling drugs, save me, Jesus. He said, I'm snatching you out of hell to be a witness for me. And then I felt the presence of God just come over me. It was like life, new life again. Everything was beautiful. I mean, the flowers, the water, everything was just so beautiful. I knew instantly that God had changed and touched my life, because I woke up the next morning not having a desire to sell drugs, not having a desire to do nothing but want to know Jesus Christ. Oh my God, thank you Jesus,
15: thank
16: you Jesus. The next day my mom and dad came over to borrow a thousand dollars from me. Uh, I looked at my mom and dad, I was so caught up in the spirit that I looked at my mom and dad, I said, "God, God visited me last night, get your life together.
0: Huey immediately kicked everyone out of his crack houses and for the next six months he preached Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. I was preaching
16: everywhere I mean just everywhere, you know, at clubs, the same club where I had a $10,000 tap. I went back to that club, you know, preaching Jesus. People looking at me like I was crazy though, you know, but uh, I was saying, y'all know me, I used to be in this club, I used to drink, more yet, Dun Perry, Chris style, I said, give your life to Jesus, you know, people was going up in the club, I said, you're going to hell, you know, I was known as the hell preacher, you're going to hell
0: his new reputation as the hell preacher
16: quickly spread to the streets but as a period of time uh, people started giving their light to the Lord drug dealers I mean some of these same people that ran from me they'll call me up uh, Pastor Harris pray for me come out to my house knocking on the door Pastor Harris pray for me
0: in the first month 300 people were baptized but his mom and dad still weren't sure what to believe and they started watching me and watching what I was doing and they were like is he for real Then five months later, his mom and dad showed up at a tent revival that Huey was leading. My mom came to the tent drunk. I mean, my mom was drunk off some uh, liquor, some vodka and some.
16: So she came to the tent, I left from up under the tent, grabbed my mom from up under the tent, and she gave her life to
0: the Lord. His dad was right behind her. He broke down in tears as he also gave his life to Christ.
16: And probably a week later, I'll never forget, my grandmother walked up to the altar and started praising the Lord. And i really seen a change in her like never before. Um, i seen a change in her eyes, like, I'm so sorry for giving you drugs at the age of 12 years old to sell. I've seen it in my grandmother. Even on her dying bed, she asked me for forgiveness.
0: Over the next two years, many family members and more than 5,000 others gave their lives to Christ. You know, drug
16: dealers, prostitutes, gang bangers, killers, thugs. I mean, real thugs. I mean, your typical thug won't even come to church you know, I ain't spend church. So I was reaching out to those kind of people because I came from that background.
0: Huey met his wife Andrea at church. He hopes to teach their three children the lessons God taught him. You know, the Bible said, what if
16: a man gained the whole world and lose his soul? So, you know, money is not happiness. You know, Christ is my joy. He's my strength. When Jesus came into my life, I mean, He lighted me up with peace. I mean, He gave me so much peace, peace of mind. Now I can lay down and I can rest at night. I can sleep at night with peace and I got peace, I got a lot of peace,
17: yeah. I was angry at God. I did not think that I had a chance at heaven. I thought I was damned to hell.
18: What could make an eight-year-old boy lose all hope of heaven? Todd Beasley lived a lonely childhood. He was born with brittle bone disease and spent much of his young life in the hospital. He broke 70 bones at various times and had 28 hospital stays. The disease eventually caused deformities in his small frame. Todd couldn't spend his school years with other children. Instead, a tutor came to his house from first grade through sixth. And then seventh through eleventh grades, I
17: had a two-way telephone system between my house and the school, and classmates would carry this little cowbell speaker microphone from classroom to classroom, and then when I wanted to
18: answer a question, I just pushed down a little bar on this box I had in my office. Todd's life took a dark turn during one of his lonely hospital stays. I had overheard
17: the doctor telling my mom on the eve of a surgery in Milwaukee back in 1959 that they didn't know if they could save my leg. He thought that I was out of earshot
18: when he told my mom that in the hallway, but I could hear it. Todd was devastated, but then another patient told him that he had the answer to Todd's dilemma. And
17: a 13-year-old child in the bed next to me, said well everything will be okay with your leg if you just join my club and i said well what club is that and he said the devil's club but you've got to understand he said once you join there's no way out and you can never tell anyone
18: todd's christian upbringing had not prepared him for this but he desperately wanted to save his leg and so i agreed to join and that
17: night it felt like i had sold my soul i had lost it forever And the internal pain, the agony of that moment, was just horrendous. It was hard to describe the pain. Amazingly, his leg began to heal. The bone, six weeks later, had grown in straighter and stronger in my left leg than in my lower right leg, which had never
18: broken. As years passed and his guilt grew, Todd desperately searched for a way out of his vow. And I even took time to look into the Bible
17: at that point, but all I could see there was woe unto you hypocrites and i i thought god hated me every sunday i'd be dragged into the presence of an angry god with cold feet and cold hands so todd rejected his christian upbringing i ran as far away from god as i could possibly get once i got out on my own i wanted to put him out of my mind and enjoy my life on earth while i was here because i figured i was headed for hell so i might as well enjoy what time i had and that's why i got off into the drugs and got into other sinful things and just ran from god
18: But in retrospect, Todd says God didn't give up on him. He kept pursuing
17: me. I went through eight auto accidents in three years without a scratch. And then a tornado went ten feet over my car when I was in Jackson, Tennessee. And
18: that was the most scared moment of my life. His near-death experiences pushed Todd to search once again for God. The same God that he had fled from for all those years but I didn't know where to find him. I had been gone from him for so long. In other areas, life moved forward for Todd. He married a wonderful kind-hearted woman named Sherry. With Todd's talented voice, he excelled in a radio career. Part of that job
17: responsibility as morning announcer was also production director, which meant I recorded the commercials and religious programming for Sunday morning and there was a pastor who came to record one of his sermons and he asked after our recording session, have you ever accepted
18: Christ as your Savior? Todd had never shared his dark satanic secret with anyone but that day he confided everything to this pastor.
17: He showed me from scripture over coffee that the devil is a liar and the father of lies and that Jesus still loved me and that I still had hope and that I could be saved and it was like throwing a rope to a drowning man. And so I reached out and I accepted the Lord as my savior. A great weight was lifted off my shoulders. I was able to go tell my wife what I had been involved in. I was able to go tell my parents, my mom
18: and my dad. Years later, Todd and Sherry had a son named Joshua, but Todd was devastated when he found out his newborn son had brittle bone disease. So Todd and Sherry began to pray for healing and to date Joshua, at age 10, has never broken a single bone. I'm delighted that God healed him. I knew all the pain that I went through
17: as a child with the broken bones, and for him to be spared that, that's the most merciful thing that I could ever imagine or or ask for.
18: Today, Todd encourages everyone to accept Jesus Christ as their savior.
17: And Jesus came to set us free from sin and give us hope, no matter what we've been involved with. I don't care if you've sold your soul to Satan. I don't care how far into the depths of the occult you've sunk. If you're a witch or whatever, there's hope for you. Jesus loves you and he can set you free. He did it for me. He can do it for you too. Fatima
19: Shubisa works hard to provide for her and her husband's nine children. She lives in the little village of Alelu in rural Ethiopia. She considers her simple life a gift from God, because it was God himself who raised her from
5: the dead. For two months I was very, very seriously sick.
19: One day Fatima's mother came to care for her daughter, but her daughter passed away.
5: She came and touched my face, I was cold and my eyes were open and she closed my eyes and she straightened my leg. My mother cried when she found out that I was dead and because of that everybody came and started crying.
19: The pain Fatima felt during her long sickness was finally over. Fatima grew up Muslim, but had converted to Christianity. She says after
5: she died, she felt herself being drawn to heaven. I was very happy and I was going with a very merry heart. Along the way, Fatima saw someone she recognized. It was her
19: husband's brother who had died two years earlier.
5: That uh, brother of my husband came and took my hands and uh, it took me away. I felt like uh, the earth was like uh, an open ditch, but I had gone up very, very high. When I crossed uh, or went away from the ditch, I reached a place where everybody was dressed with gold. I looked at this, the earth, as very dirty, but where I was, was really very free and clean.
19: Back at her home, more and more people were coming to mourn Fatima's
5: passing. My relatives had come from far and they were non-Christians, Muslims, and they were crying very much. Uh, But a few uh, Christians were praying. A missionary named Warsaw Butta
19: was
4: walking nearby. After my salvation God told me that
5: I will raise the
0: dead through you.
4: With that word I was
5: praying from that day onward. And when he was passing by he heard that somebody died so he came he started praying. The non-Christians came and uh, they were asking why is this Pentecostal man praying over a dead body?
19: As Warsaw prayed Fatima's vision of heaven continued.
5: My husband's mother was dead, and she was there in that place, and she was begging them to send me back so that I can raise my children. Those people who were in gold said she is quite young, so send her back, send her back.
19: By now, Fatima had been dead a full 12 hours, but Warsa kept praying.
4: I have faith that the Lord work
5: through me. I pray as Peter prayed, Fatima, be raised. I ask you in the name of the Lord, come to life. When I prayed that prayer, Fatima, raise in the name of Jesus. She sat up in the bed. Immediately, I found myself in in my body. I sat up in my bed and started saying, what is this? What's happening? What's going on? Then everybody was surprised. Some were commenting. So a a pente can call back a dead body, a a dead person, a dead soul to a body. If this is real, then we all will become uh, pentes, that is, Christians. And they were shouting. I was a Christian and my husband was an evangelist, and when I died, I died as a Christian, and these people called Warsat, and they started commenting, your God is a very powerful God, now make us believe. I came back because it was the will of God for me to live with my children, but I would be very happy to go back there. Now I have seen when a Christian dies, he goes to a better place and his body goes back to dust. For a non-believer, that is a place of sadness, but when a Christian dies, he goes to a separate place where everything is good, where everything is very, very happy. He never floated through a tunnel or saw a
20: blinding light. The instant Don Piper died, he went straight to Heaven's Gate. And 90 minutes later, he came back.
0: Don Piper was killed instantly when a tractor trailer hit his Ford Escort head on, crushing the small car. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Paramedics covered his mangled body with the tarp. Then Dick Onorecker, a minister, stopped and asked the paramedics if he could pray for Don.
18: I walked over by the door. Uh, great physical damage on on the outside Um, and I laid my hands on him and began to pray for him.
0: As he prayed over the body, a sound came from beneath the tarp. Don Piper was alive.
20: Please welcome back to The 700 Club the man who spent 90 minutes in heaven, Don Piper. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm
21: honored to be here. Thank you very
20: I was fascinated by your book. I read it in one sitting. And before we get into the story of what you saw and experienced in heaven, Mm -hmm. tell us how you came back to life.
21: Well, a man was praying for me. You saw Dick on a Wrecker. He, uh... He felt led of the Lord to get in the car. It was an awful uh, accident and the very, very uh, heavy damage in the car. And certainly on me, I was killed instantly. And he crawled under a tarp. They'd covered the body up with a tarp, placed his hands on me, and began to pray for me because uh, he just felt God told him to do so. So he was obedient. He didn't worry about his theology, whether that made sense or not. He, he was, was a
7: good Baptist preacher. He <laughs> just did
21: it and uh, and prayed for me. Now, many other people had been notified I'd been in an accident as well, but they didn't tell him I Died, mm-hmm. so they were praying for me only with the knowledge of the of the uh, of the accident itself. So that went on for quite some time. And uh, 90 minutes after the accident happened, he was singing the hymn "What a Friend We Have in Jesus," holding on to me under the tarp in the dark uh, because we were under the tarp together. And uh, suddenly, I started singing the hymn with him, <laughs> and he got out of the car really fast. Because he was very frightened and excited.
20: Because a dead man was singing with them again. The dead man
21: was singing. That's exactly right.
20: Now, what did you experience during those 90 minutes?
21: The reality and the majesty and the bliss of heaven itself. I, uh, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for those who know Him and love Him, and that's exactly what I experienced. I was. Uh, 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 surrounded by people I had known and loved in life who had preceded me. Every single one of them had had a spiritual impact on my life. So here I was now uh, surrounded by these people, some relatives, some friends, some teachers, but every one of them had uh, influenced me for Christ by telling me about Jesus, taking me to church, uh, living a Christ-like life in front of me. And they were all around me, and they looked really, really good. Mm. If you want to look good, heaven is the place (laughs) you want to be. And uh, they were all perfect in every way blemishless uh, as was I I mean I was very mangled in the automobile accident back on earth but I didn't have a scratch on me in heaven I believe the only one in heaven with scars is Jesus to remind the rest of us of how we got there wow. so I, I saw these people and there were magnificent gates there were indeed golden streets um, there was incredible music uh, not only in quality But quantity, I've never heard such music uh, before or since. Heaven is the most real thing I've ever experienced in my existence.
20: And we read in the Word about gates of pearl and streets of gold. And that we will will spend our time worshipping the Lord. You know, if if you talk to a teenager, I spend a lot of time uh, serving and ministering with teenagers. And they think, well, we're just going to sit around and sing all the time? Oh, no. And and they probably have no idea of what you experienced from the music.
21: Heaven is incredible. An incredibly active place. I mean, imagine one of the things that you do is greet the people who come after you. What a wonderful thing that is! Yeah. And in, in, since there's no passage of time, you're always people are always coming mm-hmm. and showing up, and you get to praise the Lord with the with the incredible songs. There's the fellowship of believers. Uh, we will dine at the Lord's table. It could hardly be more active. It is an exciting place, mm-hmm. and the best thing about it is, God is there. It's it's that's where we want to be. He created us for fellowship and in heaven we get to fellowship with him forever. Forever.
20: I'm sure you've had your share of skeptics who sure. say you just had some experience and because you'd read the Bible right. that's what what you experienced. Right. How do you respond to
21: them? Well, there were several things that uh, that made it uh, particularly real for me. Uh, for one thing, I experienced things there I didn't expect to experience. Um, I even saw people there I I didn't expect to see there really and uh, and so in a very real sense there were a lot of things that happened while I was there that exceeded anything I had ever read or even thought about mm-hmm. before it happened so it became an even more real experience than what I would have imagined if I were imagining it it is the most real thing I've ever had happen to me mm-hmm. but it's a faith process um, you're not going to convince somebody about the reality of, of heaven unless you convince them about the reality of Christ mm-hmm. and of course we know he lived and he's the only way to go there so because I knew him when the truck hit me uh, I went to heaven because I knew the way Jesus is the way that's what he said when they asked him how do we get to heaven he said I am the way Mm. so I went because I knew the way you can go too. Well, can. your
20: book has been tremendously popular, over mm. a million copies sold, New York Times bestseller. Right. Why do you think people resonate with your story? Why are they so fascinated with heaven?
21: They're looking for hope. Mm. Uh, people want hope in this life and in the life to come. And uh, both of my books have been about not only heaven uh, and the reality of heaven that you could go there, but having a meaningful life until you go there. Mm. You know, and so people are looking for that eternal hope, but they're also looking. Looking for hope now yeah. many people have gone through extraordinary difficult times a tragedy a loss a disaster and they're they're wondering how do I get through this life um, and I want to give them hope about that too I had to figure that out because I had 34 operations was in a hospital bed for 13 months and I needed some hope about the rest of my life and so in a very real sense that's what I'm trying to do mm-hmm immediate hope, what I call a new normal, and uh, eternal hope, which is heaven that, uh, that Jesus is preparing for us right now. So they're looking for hope, and I'm trying to do that mm-hmm. uh, in everything I do and say.
20: Well, your recovery afterwards was certainly not a cakewalk. You had tremendous True. recovery and pain to deal with, but how did that experience of heaven change your life once you were back among the living?
21: Well, I often say that uh, if you know where you're going, it ought to make the journey easier.
3: Mm-hmm.
21: Uh, and, it, and if we're Christians, we know where we're going. We know, we know how it turns out. I, I was watching a football game the other day that had already been played. It was a replay of a football game. That sounds pretty desperate, doesn't it? <laughs> but I wanted to see how it, they got to the end you know we know what the end of our life is if we're Christians we know where we're going Mm -hmm. shouldn't that make the journey easier even if we go through difficult and in some cases tragic experiences and so that's what I wanted to do I had to find that out and it was in deciding to help other people get through their losses and tragedies that I was able to get through mine because it made some sense out of my experience Mm -hmm. and yes there were many operations and long therapy Uh, much rehabilitation but through that process I've been able to walk again when they said I never would and I I function I'm not you know, I have a lot of limitations. But I can get from point A to point B. God has helped me do that, and I want to help other people do the same thing.
20: Well, I was, I was wondering how much pain you still deal with. And I appreciated your honesty about the depression yes. you dealt with when you came back. I did have Having depression. experienced heaven. I surely did. Your first book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, really is the story of what happened to you, what you experienced, yes. your recovery. Um, this book, Heaven is Real, how is it different, and what message is in it?
21: Well, Heaven is Real is that book. It's The, the subtitle is Lessons on Earth joy. And it is the book about helping people cross over the bridge. I was on a bridge when the wreck happened. Crossing over the bridge, I went on one end in my red car, and the other end I was taken off in the back of an ambulance. Mm -hmm. So my life was never the same. We're all crossing bridges. And this new book is to try to help people get through the tragedies and losses of life.
20: Well, this book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, was fascinating to read. And it really made me look at even this life in a different way.
9: I got high when I was eight years old. Uh, Two of my brothers had got me out in the garage smoking a bong. That was the first time I ever used marijuana. I'll never forget it. I loved it.
22: Randy Hicks grew up one of nine children in rural Illinois with a little parental supervision.
9: My father was an alcoholic. He ran Moonshine. Mom held it together. My mother uh, was a firm believer in Jesus Christ. She was a praying mom. Randy's brothers
22: hid the goods in the garden out back, in their school bags, or even under the mattress.
9: One time I found some white powder in there. It was cocaine. I didn't know what it was, and I touched it, and it had numbed my lips. And I was like, wow, that's some strange stuff. And one day, I just happened to watch my brother sniff it, and I sniffed some too. And time I got to high school, I was a freshman. You know, people, people were selling it to make money. time I was a senior in high school, I was selling big time.
22: After graduation, Randy joined the military.
9: I ended up being a tanker, an armor crewman, and they sent me to Fort Irwin, California. Well, up there, crystal meth was big. Well, when I got up there, I got hooked up with the wrong people. I started drinking heavier, and then I really started going on a binge with crystal meth. Oh, my God, I was so addicted. It was like I couldn't live without it i breathed it from the time i got up in the morning to the time i went to bed i i started selling stuff to get it and they sent me to rehab and eventually they they released me from the military it bothered me i was like man i had this great opportunity to turn my life around why did i get go back to doing the drugs
22: but it only got worse randy spent a year in jail for robbing a gas station He was so high, he doesn't even remember holding a gun to the clerk's head. When he got out of jail, he overdosed. He was only 27.
9: They went ahead and pulled a white sheet up on me because they said I was gonna die. They called my family and when I woke up, it was the most frightening moment because I looked down and I'm looking at a white sheet.
22: Doctors discovered Randy was still alive. After running numerous tests, he was released. But even that near-death experience wasn't enough to scare Randy straight. Randy married, but the alcohol and drug use continued, eventually destroying the relationship. In 1997, Randy's wife left him with their two young children.
9: And I was smoking weed, and I still did a little coke. Not like I used to, but I was still doing it, yes. The moment that changed that, all of a sudden my body collapsed to the ground. I felt something physically dragging me out of my body. And I mean, I looked up and I saw death. And I saw hell in his eyes. And it had these huge horns. It, it curled around like a ramp. And death just filled the room. And it scared me. I could physically feel my spiritual man separating from my flesh. I didn't feel no pain, but I felt it leaving, trembling in fear. And immediately I fell on my face. And I cried out, Jesus. I said, forgive me of my sins. God, help me with my addictions take it all the way just don't let me go to hell please I was begging I was crying I did everything I knew and as soon as I looked at the door my door opened and I saw this long white glowing robe white there's just no white in this world you can describe it I knew without a doubt that the moment I cried out for Jesus, that God had showed up right there and saved me at the moment I cried out. From that moment, uh, man, I just wanted to know God. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to know this one who, when I knew without a doubt I was going to hell, came for me.
22: Immediately, Randy's craving for drugs and alcohol was replaced with a hunger and thirst for Jesus.
9: I travel and share what God brought me from, what I went through, what it will do to you, and how Christ is the answer. When you call on that name Jesus, He is there right there, and He is ready to receive you and to forgive you of all your sins.
8: The story of Kenneth Hagen's near-death experience is spectacular. In April of 1933, Hagen was bedridden. He had been ill with a deformed heart from birth. On the evening of the 22nd, he took a turn for the worse. His family stayed by his side and waited for the arrival of the doctor. Suddenly a pain shot through his heart like lightning. He was convinced he was living his last few moments. He states, My toes seemed to go numb. This numbness spread to my feet, my ankles, my knees, my hips, my stomach, my heart, and I leaped out of my body. I knew I was outside of my body. I could see my family in the room, but I couldn't contact them. As he tried to communicate with his family members, he felt himself leaving the room and falling into what seemed to be a downward well or cavern. Hagen claims that as he descended, he could see the lights of Earth fading away and was eventually covered by darkness. When he came to the bottom of the cavern, he was surrounded by giant orange flames. He saw what he believed to have been the gates of hell. He says he was physically drawn to those gates like a magnet, though he tried to stop himself. I was conscious of the fact that some kind of creature met me at the bottom of that pit. I didn't look at it. My gaze was riveted on the gates. As the creature grabbed Hagen, a thunderous voice spoke. The creature immediately released Hagen, and he felt himself pulled towards the light.
3: Granny. Oh, son. You're back. Uh, Granny, I'm going again. No, no, no. Hang on. Hang on. Where's mom? I want to tell her goodbye.
19: I thought, you, Mommy, you've gone. She ran out the door. I, I've got to tell Mama yes. goodbye. Yes, <laughs> Lily! Granny,
4: don't, don't, don't leave me. Oh, no, 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 no.
2: I'm
4: afraid I'll go with you. No, no, I won't. I'll stay right here, son. I'll be right with you. Granny, I'm, I'm going again. I, I love you.
8: Hagen states this event occurred three times. The third time, he thought he may have been hallucinating the entire experience. But as the darkness surrounded him, he was convinced that this hellish place was real. Hagen tells of calling out into the darkness. God, I belong to the church. I've been baptized in water. Once again, he was at the bottom of the pit, faced with the gates and the unknown creature. But again, just like the two times before, he heard the voice. I don't know what he said, but whatever he said, that place shook, it just trembled. Hagen remembers praying as he ascended towards earth. Oh God, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to know, it was like a two ton weight lifted off my chest. Dr. Kenneth Hagen eventually recovered from his heart condition. He is known internationally as the founder and president of Rama
17: Bible School.